Good morning. If we've not met, I'm Nathan. I am the, I'm actually the second string triangle player for the worship band up here. And, and I grabbed the mic today. So here we go. Uh, my name is Nathan. I get to be the pastor here. So I'd love to meet you at some point if we haven't met yet. Thank you for being here today. Would you thank our worship team and Ginger and Shelby for leading us through worship and communion? All right, got a question. Might be a little out of left field for church for Sunday morning. By show of hands, how many of you have ever in your life ridden a mechanical bull? Okay, all right. So those of you not raising your hand, do you want to know why you're not raising your hand? Because you're smart, okay? (laughs) And that's less a statement about anybody who raised their hand as much as it is about me. Because by far, one of the worst adult decisions I have ever made in my life was to ride a mechanical bull. We were at the Universal City Walk out in California, and um, there was a, it was like a Western-style restaurant there, and like right in the middle of everything, they've got this mechanical bull. And you look at it, and you just go... I'm going to end up on that thing. It's just going to happen tonight. So I'm watching people do it, and, and I'm watching people fall off. It, it just kind of, I was like, you fell off over that? Yeah, I mean, I wrestled. I felt like I had a sense of balance in high school. I can do this thing. So I got brave, got up there, and um, you, you guys know the, in pro rodeo, how long, how long is successful? Eight seconds. That's right. So I'm thinking eight seconds. Eight seconds. My goodness. I mean, eight seconds just passed, right? It's not, it can't be that hard. So I get up there, and um, we, we have the youth group with us, and so they're all watching. The restaurant's watching. We're all, everybody's watching. And, and I got on that thing, and they start. So first second. First second really is kind of terrifying because you're like, I'm not familiar with this thing. First second was just kind of getting to getting the feel of everything. A lot happened in that first second, okay? Second, second. I could feel my confidence kicking in. I was like, huh, I got this. is like a puppy, all right? And so second, second, I'm, I'm doing okay. We get into the third second. And I was like, I might as well quit my job and do this as a, as a, as a professional. And the fourth second, I don't know what happened. I was on the ground, bloody lip. I, I, my neck was out. I had a headache. And I just, I was like, I, oh my gosh, what just happened to me? And this was truly, I knew at that point it was one of the dumbest decisions of my life, okay? And so I got cleaned up. I really had blood all over the, the t-shirt and everything. Got cleaned up, had this screaming headache. And I sat down right behind the, where the person is who controls the mechanical bowl. And I looked at their panel and they've got four, they've got four knobs basically, okay? And they had a knob for spin, They had a knob for buck. They had a knob for speed. And then they had this red knob. And it was, there was a piece of masking tape that said, use this on the tough ones. And it just said intensity. And I was like, what's intensity? What's that mean? It's what knocked me off in that fourth second. And I just went, my goodness, they've got multiple, multiple, multiple ways to knock you off of a mechanical bull. So just... Word to the wise, just take my word for it, okay? It, it's, not worth, it's not worth all the hurt. 
And actually, maybe this was the penny horse at King Supers that I'm referring to, actually. No, <laughs> no, it was a real mechanical bull, okay? But I'll never do it again. I'll absolutely never do it again. Why do I bring this up? Mark 13, where we are this morning, in the next couple of weeks, Mark 13 is the mechanical bull of the Gospel of Mark. It really is. I mean, when you look at what Jesus has to say here, he's, he's having a conversation with his disciples. They're looking at the temple and they're just admiring the majesty and the, the magnitude and the size of the temple. And, and as they're admiring it, Jesus gives them a dose of truth. He says, look, this thing's coming down. This thing is going to fall down. In fact, as they inquire, and we'll walk through this, he begins to tell them about some things, some signs, some things that are going to be taking place in the future. And it's, it's what's referred to as a double reference. Yes, he's talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, but he's also, he's referencing the future. He's saying, look, this, what you're, what you're going to encounter, what you're going to see, is really a picture of what is going to be happening in the future. That when God's kingdom, when it breaks in, there are some things that are going to happen first. And it's not going to be fun. In fact, they're the kinds of things, disciples, they're the kinds of things that could shake you off. They, They could actually knock you off of your faith. And so Jesus, as sobering as this, as this passage is, as sobering as it is, it's really a warning. He's saying, look, be prepared. Be ready because this is what's coming. And so as we walk through this conversation, like the knobs that they have to be able to knock you off a mechanical bowl, I believe when you look at the list of what Jesus is, is really talking to them about, you begin to see some things that have their parallels today. There are some things in here that could knock any one of us off of our faith. Let's walk through those. So come with me to Mark chapter 13. This is verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And, and already we get into the, the, one of the first things that, that is often the catalyst to shake us off and to shake people out of their faith. It's the destruction of what we admire. The destruction of what we admire. And this really gets at that thing in us that we admire beauty in all its forms. Now for them, their context was the temple. Now when you read temple, we tend to picture like the church, right? You might picture a church building. You have to understand the magnitude of the size of the temple in order to understand why they were so in awe of what they were looking at. In fact, they, you know, they measured everything with different terms. And so when you look at just the measurements of the temple, you know, it's, everything's in cubits, okay? Cubits, basically, you multiply the number by one and a half, and you've got it in feet. So as they're looking at things, they're looking at stones that are like six cubits, by about five cubits by 45 cubits, length times width times height. So you're talking about nine feet by seven and a half feet by 45 feet, just a stone, just one stone. This place was massive. If last week we were in that passage where Jesus is watching the, the widow give her offerings, this happened in the, the women's court, women's courtyard, basically. That courtyard alone, just that courtyard, 
233 feet on all four sides. Okay, a football field is 360 feet. That was just the courtyard where the, where the widow was giving her offering. You keep going. The Temple Mount, the western wall of the Temple Mount, 1,600 feet long. It's four and a half football fields. And so you begin to get a picture of the enormity. Now, originally, the whole complex that this thing sat on was about 17 acres. Okay, just for reference sake, West Bowles, I'm saying the parking lots, the field, the building, the facilities, we sit on just under 17 acres. Herod came along. You know what Herod did? Herod was like this architectural genius. He expanded it, not, and he didn't just expand it, he doubled it. The temple complex was 36 acres by the time he got done with all the work. So, so imagine this, this whole complex doubled. You know, do, do any of you live back here? You go on walks, you can see the church from back here. Yeah, you're on a walk and it's like, oh my gosh, they filmed Lord of the Rings here, right? It looks like Helm's Deep from the Two Towers. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. If not... I, I can't, we can't talk. Anyway, okay, so, no, but you look at it, and you go, there, it's just a fortress. Now double it. You've got the, the complex that the temple sat within. Josephus, a Jewish historian, scholar, he described it like this. He said, the outward face of the temple was covered with gold plates, and they reflected a fiery splendor at first, at the first rising of the sun, so much so that people had to turn their eyes away. The whole complex from a distance resembled or appeared like a snow-covered mountain. And so there's just this incredible, incredible complex there that, of course, people admire. Now, you come to our context, and sure, we can probably think of buildings like that, but don't we have a number of different areas we admire things, right? It's buildings, it's people, it's accomplishments. And what Jesus is getting at is he's saying, look, don't get your heart set on the size of this temple. You know, it's one of the mistakes we make, right? That the appearance of something somehow correlates to its endurance throughout time. But I, I think back to 9-11. It did not take long for two massive buildings to come down. You watch the implosion of a building that's no longer going to be in use. It comes down in seconds. You know, I think back over the last few years at the downfall of church leaders that were admired, so admired. And it comes down instantly like that. And Jesus says, don't let it shake you. Do not let the destruction of what we admire, don't let it shake you. It's coming. It is coming. He moves on. He says next, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the disciples say to him, <clears throat> as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. Now, if you catch his wording there, see, they had dealt with false prophets. And they had dealt with false teachers. And now Jesus is saying, no, now you're going to be dealing with false messiahs. There are going to be those who come along, and they're actually going to have the audacity to say, I'm Jesus. I'm him. I'm the Savior. And this gets at the second thing that could shake any of us off of our faith. It's the deception. 
the deception of what assures us. There is a deception to the things that we lean on for assurance. And he says, watch out, beware. You know, I, I, I think about it and I go, you know, the thing about an assurance, what makes it an assurance is it looks true, it sounds true, it feels true. And so it helps if we're aware of what, just as human beings, we're susceptible to. And we're susceptible to some deceptions. You know, one of the things I wrote down was charisma. Is it a wonderful thing to have? Yes, until it gets distorted. You know, the, you, you, you look at people that you think, wow, they're incredible. And it might be warm fuzzies. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, when somebody just makes you get warm fuzzies inside? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Okay, maybe it's just me. All right, no. Another thing, bold confidence. Bold, bold confidence. You know what I've noticed? Some of the most confident people I know can say some, they can say some very wrong things very confidently. Right? You ever had that? Or you're like listening to somebody, you're like, I'm with you, until you said that. What? You know, it, it, it can happen. And finally, appearances. Kind of tied to the first thing. But appearances, we can be so thrown off by appearances. This is the very thing God warned his people about. Remember they wanted a king? They looked around at all the other nations and they decided, yeah, we want a king. All the other nations have kings or all the ones we're aware of, so we want a king. And God, you know, he went back and forth with them. Finally, he said, okay, I'll let you have, let you have a king. And who was it? King Saul. King Saul. And what was the feature of King Saul? I mean, if I could bring it into today's terms, tall, dark, and handsome, right? This is why you have the pastor you have. It's not tall, dark, and handsome. Just short, white, and stunning. That's how I like to think of it, all right? (laughs) But we can be so deceived by the things that assure us. It's kind of like, remember the game Telephone? Everybody remember playing the game Telephone? I mean, you're trusting the person who's speaking into your ear, and if they're confident and they're a trusted friend... You could get the wrong thing, and you could say the wrong thing, couldn't you? Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. The destruction of what you admire, the deception of what assures you, that can shake you off of your faith. It actually could. He's telling the disciples this. And as I look around today, I'm going, yep, it can happen to us too. He keeps going. Mark 13, verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Do you know what else could shake off your faith? All of us off our faith. The interruption of our stability. We've got destruction. We've got deception. The interruption of our stability. And maybe the most difficult thing about this is just the illusion of control that we have is humanity, right? I mean, how often have you, have you, you know, seen a war going on in, in the news or in the media, and you just think, well, maybe you even talk to the TV, maybe it's just me. You think, well, if so-and-so would just, it would be fixed. I mean, if they would just keep to themselves, it would be fixed. Have you done that before? All right, all right, I'll believe you. Okay, no, it's, we all think we're in far more control than we are. And then he points at famines. 
He says, look, famines, it's going to happen. I have to think that at some point Jesus just went, it's coming, and he's watching us. You know, you've got this huge conversation about global warming going on. Is it happening? It might be happening. Okay, I'm no scientist. I'll admit I haven't done the research into it. What gets to me is the idea that we think we actually are in control of that. That somehow, if we'll just stop a few practices of ours, it'll be fixed. You got Jesus up there who I I just imagine him going, yeah, I I know about tectonic plates. I know about temperature. I I actually made this stuff, right? He he knows. It's not like we're getting out of this. He said, it is coming. Let, Let me ask you something. When you think about the conflicts going on in the world right now, just just think off the top of your head, what comes to mind? Russia, Ukraine. Israel, we see this ongoing, don't we? Where else? Turkey, China, Taiwan, right? We just listed four. Let me show you this map. Look at this map here. This is from the Council for Foreign Relations. All those dots are where there are heightened levels of conflict going on. If you were to go to this website and you were to just hover your mouse over each of these dots, it tells you, it actually gives their measurement of just how intense this is. Let me tell you something. None of these are green light. Green light being low. These are all escalating and escalating and escalating. There are 25 wars, battles, or intense conflicts going on across our globe right now. If anything, this should tell us we are not in control. We're not. And Jesus looks at all of it and he goes, look, it's going to happen. Don't let the interruption of your stability shake you. Don't do it. He goes through a couple more. Verse 12. Excuse me, verse 9. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. I know it's hard for us to imagine, although the last few years might have begun to open our eyes a little bit. It's hard to imagine. But there could come a point where there will be intimidation by our authorities. Intimidation by our authorities. It can shake you. It can absolutely shake you. And that's hard to imagine in a country like America. But the last few years have been a glimpse, haven't they? I mean, we've seen... We've seen, because here's why. We, we really live with two tension-filled realities. The first is the idea that God somehow appointed the very authorities. God appointed the authorities that could eventually go against his ways and his people. And, and you sit there and you go, God, could you just do something about it? And I don't know, it's his wisdom Okay, Paul even told us it can look like foolishness to us, but his wisdom, his ways are beyond our ways. That's one reality we we live with. But the, the second is this. We are spiritual beings who live in political systems. We are spiritual beings who live within political systems. And I'll just tell you right now, this, this might, might help all of us um, settle just a little bit. When, if and when something like the last few years comes up, the political can never contain the spiritual. It can't. And God knows. He says, yeah, I, I put it in place. You know how I know that? Because when you watch, 
when you watch the number of court cases that came up over the last few years, especially when it came to churches, right, about gathering for worship, this was the conundrum. Gathering is an act. It's a spiritual act. Worship is a spiritual act. And as soon as, as soon as authorities tried to mandate it, and it escalated all the way up to the highest court in the land, you know what they said? We can't do anything about that. We can't do it. Because the political can never contain spiritual. Okay, I'm going to move on from that one, okay? That's one of those, you know, they tell you don't talk about, at a, at a gathering, don't talk about politics. Okay, let's, let's keep moving. But it's a reality. It's a reality. Verse 12. <clears throat> brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. And this is speaking to persecution now. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Do you want to know what else could shake you off of your faith? The separation of relationships. The separation of relationships. And we all know that one, don't we? We've all been through it. We've all experienced it. And we have to be reminded. Maybe, maybe this is the most necessary thing for us to remember, but the most difficult. When you encounter a person that is hostile to you, Paul told us, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. When you're dealing with somebody that you're at odds with, you're dealing with forces, not faces. See, as soon as we make it a value judgment about the dignity of that person, you know what's happened? We've been deceived. We've been deceived into thinking that that person is the enemy. Paul says, no, it's a power. It's a principality that you're dealing with. In seminary, one, one instructor or one professor, he, he said tongue-in-cheek, he said, look, if you want to be liked by people, there are three things not to be in this life. The president, a professional referee, and a pastor. And I was like, ah, oh, almost made it. But as I read this, you know what I see? To become a disciple. To become a disciple is going to mean it's going to, it's going to put you at odds with the world. It's just going to do it. And you've got to remember, our battle is against forces, not faces. Destruction, deception, interruption, intimidation, separation. Who signs up for that? You know, my first time I came to youth group, I did not sign up for that. There was dodgeball going on. The girl who came up to meet me, I was like, I'm coming back because of her, okay? I didn't sign up for those things. None of us did. Nobody signs up for that. Yet it's reminiscent of this thing that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble because this world is set against me. Because of what sin did. Now, I look at that list of things that could shake us off of our faith. And I, not only do I think who would, who would sign up for that, but as, as Jesus just said, who could stand firm through that? And honestly, who stands firm through a lifetime of even one of those things? Nobody. Unless they have a Savior. See, we deal with a, a Savior who knows those things are coming, 
who experienced those things. That's how you stand firm. You go, look, when all those things have happened and, and they've shaken every, every, every bit of your life, you want to know what your assurance is? You, you, those might have been the assurances. Your only assurance is what he did at the cross to reconcile this relationship with our Heavenly Father. And not only to reconcile it, but to invite us in to that relationship with him that's full of abundant life. You see, Jesus is getting at something here. There's something that's emerging in Mark chapter 13. We do not have a deliverance from the things that shake us. We have deliverance in it. It's not a deliverance from those things. It's a deliverance in it. And you got to know that. I know I've, I've shared this with some of you before. There is a river in Zimbabwe that is known for its river rafting. It's called the Zambezi River. I might have pronounced that right. I might have pronounced it wrong. The Zambezi River. Okay, so Hannah, Graham's wife, was a river guide. Okay, what, what is the highest class of rapid that can be rafted in the U.S.? Six. Okay, yeah. In most places, it's five, but you can get some sixes, okay? And sixes are crazy. I mean, how many of you have been river rafting before? Yeah, now nobody wants to raise their hand because of earlier, okay? Yeah. Yeah, but you, you've been, if you've been knocked out of a raft, you know how scary the higher class rapids could be. The Zambezi River, those who have rafted in America and then gone over to that river have, have said those are a different, a totally different tier of rapids. You could classify those as sevens and eights because of the drops. So when river guides give tours at this river, do you want to know what they say? One of them actually contributed to a book. He said, we tell our... our um, tours when the raft tips see here here they say if the raft tips but there they say when the raft tips because it's going to and you know what they say do everything you can to stay in the rough waters do everything you can to stay in the rough waters you are going to be tempted to swim to smooth waters and guess what's in the smooth waters Crocodiles. Crocodiles. And they will devour you. You stay in the rough waters. That is, welcome to church. Isn't that comforting, okay? (laughs) But we have a Savior who says, it is not a deliverance from the rough waters, from the tough stuff. It's a deliverance in it. Now, I want to show you something real quick because we've just gone through 13 very sobering verses. But if you're, if you're reading closely, there's a Savior in the midst of all of it. Look at these statements. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And you hear that and you go, well, thank you, Jesus. But what did we just learn in the last couple chapters? Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone. Right? Every stone could come down, but you're with the cornerstone. You move on. Jesus said to them, watch out. That no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. And yet, if you're familiar with John 10, we're reminded, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. That is, there are going to be those who come along. They might say similar sounding words. It may sound exactly the same. They may even use the words. But he says, my sheep, they know my voice. They know when it's me. He moves on. 
These, after referring to wars and famines, these are the beginning of birth pains. He didn't say death pains. He said birth pains. That is, yes, this is terrible. And what God is doing, what God has is on the heels of this. Something is being birthed. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Isn't that strange? See, we we imagine standing in those settings and think, we're in trouble. We're being persecuted. And he goes, no, no, no. This is an opportunity. This is where you are going to be my witness. This was my way of positioning you and getting you in proximity with those faces. Finally, everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That is, yes, people are going to hate you, but it does not indicate one iota my love for you. It is there, even if everybody else hates you, no matter what happens. So why go through all this? <laughs> why, why do all this? And the answer is actually in a couple verses that were in the middle that we, we hopped over. But let me read them to you. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. You want to know why you go through all this stuff? Because God's purpose is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. That is, I'm putting you in position through the destruction, the deception, the interruption, the intimidation, the separation, Do you want to know what it is? God is putting you in position for him, not you, not me, for him to speak. He said, I'll supply every bit of it. I am going to proclaim my gospel to the nations. It's not a deliverance from what shakes us. It's a deliverance in it. And I'll close with this. Um, A number of years ago, some of you are very familiar with, um, actually, if you were here last summer, Meredith Sexton got up here and she preached. And she talked about losing her husband, Mike. Mike and Meredith were uh, leaders in the Home Builders 2 class here years ago. And Mike, uh, he he, uh, lost his battle with cancer a number of years ago. But Mike, it it was so interesting. If, If you had the chance to walk next to Mike... The shift that took place, because at first this, this diagnosis came about and it, it just wasn't looking good. And there was a very medical emphasis on everything. You know, how do we treat this? How do we care for this? We're praying for, you know, praying for healing. And as time went on, it was like Mike became the leader of everybody else who was walking next to him. Because you know what he began to say? He said, you know, if I get healed, great. I'll be healed. But I'm starting to think about where I'm going. And I'm starting to think about the opportunities, opportunities I get to share the gospel. See, that's what happens inside every human soul when we understand that we're not trying to avoid all the things that shake us. It's not a deliverance from that stuff. It's a deliverance in it. And that is abundant life right there. Let me pray for you as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is one of those passages that I will just confess I skipped over, 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 over. I thought, 
This is sobering news. Until I read it again. And it's full of good news. It's a reminder that none of us could stand firm through any of it, but for you. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that in here, if there are those that have heard about you, you they've, they've heard the gospel before, they've read verses before, but haven't trusted you as Savior, Lord, continue that conversation. Draw them into conversation. But, Lord, I pray for anybody who's in the midst of these situations right now, destruction, deception, interruption, intimidation, separation of relationships. Lord, I pray that you would open eyes wide open to your presence right there in the midst of it. Lord, open our eyes to it that we may, as you said here, be positioned for you to speak through us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.